Well, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. Christmas is a time for carols. We love Christmas carols. And some of them are so rich in meaning, there's a reason why they've been around so long and they've stood the test of time. On the other hand, there are some Christmas carols that make me scratch my head. For example, when did one day of Christmas become 12 days of Christmas? Could someone explain that to me? And speaking of that carol, when did someone decide that swimming swans or geese laying would be a good gift at Christmas? That's never been on my list. What was the good King Wenceslas doing out in the snow at night? God bless that little shepherd boy, but if he thinks barnyard animals were speaking to him, something's wrong with that picture. If People show up at my door and say, now bring us some figgy pudding. We won't go unless we get some. I don't know about you, but I'm calling the police. (laughs) How many mothers of newborns ever wanted a drummer boy in the same room as their sleeping baby? How about no one? Well, these carols somehow became part of the Christmas tradition, and sometimes we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know what the meaning is behind them, and some of them don't really seem to make much sense. But this morning, I want to talk to you about a carol that does, because this carol was written and it was sung by the mother of Jesus Mary. She wrote this song in the original language. It's very clearly in the form of a song with rhythm. And she wrote this while she was still pregnant. Now, when we read the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke's Gospels, there are five tributes of praise. There are five times in the Christmas story where someone saw what God was doing. Someone saw what he was up to and they just could not help themselves and they erupt in praise. This morning, we are going to look at the first of those in this carol that was written by Mary. Sometimes it's referred to as the Magnificat. It's based on the Latin from the first line of the song, but this is just Mary's carol. And let me remind you of the context. In the verses prior, Mary was told by Gabriel, you found favor with God, do not fear. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. She was also told that her much older cousin Elizabeth was with child. This 
also was a miracle. And so Mary went to see her. And when she arrived, Elizabeth was indeed very much pregnant. And she said that her baby leaped for joy in the womb. When she heard the sound of Mary's voice, Elizabeth referred to Mary as the mother of my Lord. And so in this moment, Mary has just been given a little bit of confirmation. She's been given some evidence that what the angel told her was true. And this song is her response to that news. In verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now, this song really gives us insight into Mary and to who she was. It gives us insight into her character. It also teaches us a lot of theology. There are a few things here that we learn about God. This song teaches us a lot about how to worship, about how we should approach Him. It tells us a lot about how God acts in this world, what God is doing, what God is going to do. And as we look at the details of this song, there are three subjects in particular upon which Mary's song sheds some light. First of all, we notice the worship God deserves. The worship God deserves. Notice again in verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice, first of all, her soul magnifies, and her spirit rejoices. In other words, this is not Mary going through the motions. This is not external worship. This is worship from the heart. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, that word to magnify normally means to make something great. It is understood that we do not, by our words or our actions, make God any greater than he already is, but we can make his fame great. 
We can proclaim his greatness so that others will know. Mary wants others to know what God has done for her. And so, back in verse 47, she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice she said, my spirit rejoiced. This is not the normal word that was used in the New Testament for rejoice. This particular word is very intense. It's the same word that Peter used in 1 Peter 1 when he said, in this you greatly rejoice. Mary's not just rejoicing, she is greatly rejoicing. What is she rejoicing about? The source of her joy, and by the way, the only source of true joy that is found in these next three words, God my Savior. You won't find three more potent words placed back to back to back in all of the Word of God. Mary worships God, and she calls Him Savior. Do you understand how significant that is? Isaiah 43, 11, God said, I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. God reserved that word Savior for himself. God said that word belongs to me and to no one else. And so Mary exalts God my Savior, and yet in the Christmas story, we see how Jesus over and over again is referred to as Savior. The angel told Joseph and Mary that the child that she has conceived will save the people from their sins. The angels told the shepherds after his birth, today a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. That word that applies only to God and to God alone is given repeatedly to Jesus in the Christmas story, and Mary uses that title here. There's that great song that we sing. I can remember when it was new, believe it or not. I'm old enough to remember when Mary Did You Know was actually a new song. But there's that line in the song, Mary Did You Know, that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary Did You Know. Well, we know the answer to that question. Did she know? You better believe she knew. She was consciously aware of the fact that the Savior she worshipped had come and was in the form of a baby growing in her womb, and she worships him because he is God, because he is Savior, but you can't overlook that little word in between the word my. She called him God my Savior. You know, maybe some of you here this morning understand that Jesus came to save us, that he died on the cross and he rose again in order to save us. But you can't yet say that he is your Savior because you have not yet received him as Savior and Lord of your life. Well, that can change today. Mary said he is God, my Savior. And if God is Mary's Savior, that means there was a point in her life in which Mary was in need of saving. She was, in other words, the recipient of salvation. 
She is not, as some have called her, a co-redeemer. She was not sinless. She was, in fact, a sinner who was saved by grace through faith. Now, I believe that she may be the most amazing woman of faith in all of Scripture. And as we're going to see, there's so much that we can learn from her. And yet, we are not to pray to her. We are not to worship her. In fact, there's an interesting story later on in Luke chapter 11, 11 where Jesus was teaching the people, and while he was teaching, there was a woman who got caught up in the moment, and she shouted out and said, blessed is the woman who bore you and nursed you. And Jesus said to her, even more, Blessed are those who hear God's word and keep it. When someone in the crowd wanted to exalt Mary, Jesus responded by gently rebuking her. Well, Mary worships because she has been saved, and worship is her response. And as we see Mary worshiping, we notice something about her worship. We notice that her worship is characterized by a low view of self and a lofty view of God. For example, look at verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Notice Mary's attitude about herself. She refers to her lowly estate. To the world, she was a nobody. To the world, she was just a nameless Jewish youth. She was poor. She had no reputation on this earth, and nobody else noticed, but God did. Notice that Mary referred to herself as God's maidservant. That Greek word for maidservant is the feminine version of the common Greek word for slave. She used the word slave. Did you realize that in the New Testament, followers of Christ used the word slave to refer to themselves more or less a hundred times? And yet Mary was the first she was the first to use that term to describe herself. She says, I was just a lowly, humble slave of God, but God saw me, he considered me. And again in verse 48, for behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Mary was acutely aware that as a result of this child, her name would be remembered not because she earned it, not because she deserved that distinction, but because of God's grace. She was told earlier, you have found favor in God's sight. She was the recipient of grace. That means God did not owe her anything, and she owed God everything, and she knew it. That's why she called herself blessed. Not worthy, but blessed. And she really did believe that there would be generation upon generation of men and women and boys and girls who would look back and remember her name and just how blessed she was. Mary had a low view of self, 
But you combine that with a lofty view of God because verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary says, I'm low. I'm just a slave. But he is mighty. He is holy. You see what Mary's doing? She's deflecting all of the attention. She's deflecting all of the glory. And she puts the focus on God. Now, I love what John Piper said about this. He said the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Mary who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the condescension of the magnificent God. Amen and amen. Well, this is how the first Christmas carol begins, with Mary lowering herself and exalting God. And you know that's interesting, because isn't that just the exact opposite of what the world does, especially at Christmas? The world has taken this thing called Christmas and made it all about self-indulgence, self-gratification, narcissism, as if it's all about us. And yet Mary does the exact opposite, and she gives us an example of what real worship is all about. We see in her carol the worship God deserves, but we also see in her carol the order God reverses. There's an order, a way things tend to be in life, and God reverses it. He turns it upside down. In the next few verses of this song, Mary recounts what God has done, and she sees all of this culminating in the birth of this baby that she carries within her. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him, from generation to generation. Mary is quoting a phrase that appears numerous times throughout the Scripture. And by the way, one of the things that I want to point out is that throughout this song, Mary appears to refer to and go back to the Scriptures. I want you to think about that. Think about what that means for one moment. That means that Mary who was likely a young teenage girl, she knew the Scriptures because she had studied the Scriptures. She had hidden God's Word in her heart. Would to God that every young person knew the Word of God like Mary does here, I believe, As a result, she had a longing in her heart for the coming of the Messiah even before she learned that she would be the mother of the Messiah. And maybe that's why God, by His grace, chose her for this particular task. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with His arm By causing Mary, a virgin, to be with child, God has shown strength. That word for strength is the word from which we get dominion. It means power and authority. Some have one, but not the other. God has both. He has both power and authority. 
And Mary said he demonstrated that by what he's done in her life. Again in verse 51, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Eight times in this song, Mary says that he has. God has done this. God has done that. And in each case, there's some scripture that we can point to and say, this is perhaps what she had in mind. For example, she said, God has scattered the proud. Maybe she had Pharaoh in mind. Maybe she had Nebuchadnezzar in mind. Maybe she had one of Israel's evil kings in mind, somebody like Ahab. By the way, you think about all of the things that make men proud. Money, power, prestige, accomplishments, titles. God sees all of that and he labels it with one big fat zero. Those who are proud of such things, God scatters them. Three times in the scriptures, in Proverbs 3, in James 4, in 1 Peter 1, it says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mary said, he has put down the mighty. Maybe she was thinking about the Canaanites. Maybe she remembered in that moment the story when the walls around Jericho fell. Maybe she was thinking about that time when the king of Assyria would have destroyed Judah, but God sent one and only one angel to destroy that army and to remove that king. She said, he has exalted the lowly. Maybe she had David in mind. He was just a lowly shepherd boy when God chose him and anointed him to be the king of Israel. She said, he has satisfied the hungry with good things. I bet she was thinking about that manna God gave Israel. Maybe she was thinking about Elijah when he was at the brook of Sharif and God sent a raven to bring him his food daily. She said, the rich he has sent away empty. I want you to think about all of these statements. She's talking about God reversing the normal way of life. God reversing what is the natural order. It is the natural order of this world that the strong oppresses the weak. It is the natural order of this world that those who are rich take advantage of the poor. It is the natural order of this world that the evil violate the innocent. This is normal. This is natural in a world that is broken by sin. It was normal then, and it's normal now. And the question is, will it always be this way? Is there any hope that somehow, some way, this might change? Will the helpless always be helpless? Can anything be done? Mary finds out 
that she is with child, that the Son of God, the Messiah, is in her womb. And so she sings this song and says a resounding yes. She refers to all of these things that God has done. She refers to them in the past tense, even though she knows that they have not yet been completed in their entirety. And the context of all of this is the news of the birth of the baby boy. Mary knows that all of these things she talks about in her song will ultimately be fulfilled as a result of the arrival of this baby. He is the one who will take an upside down world and put it right side up. And he is the one who will overturn this natural order, the way things are in the world today. Now, there's a reason why God chooses to work this way. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We see this carried out in the Christmas story over and over again. And God's choice of Mary as the mother of Jesus in the invitation to the shepherds to come and to worship him. We see God reversing the order. Why does God do it this way? God does it this way, and he uses those who are despised and those who are weak so that he alone gets the glory. And God chooses to save the world by the means of a baby placed in a manger so that man cannot boast. Danny Aiken called him the God of grand reversals. I like that. He's the God of grand reversals. That's what he does. And Mary understood that this baby would reverse the natural order of things. He's the one who will make the world right. He's the one who will come again and establish a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and everything that is wrong with the world will one day be made right, but not by better education, not by better government, not by more laws, not by a balanced budget. Everything that is broken will be made right by the coming of this child, Jesus. We see in her song about Jesus' birth, the order God reverses. But then we also see the covenant God keeps. The covenant God keeps. Look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Again, I find myself amazed at Mary's understanding of the Word of God, her knowledge of Scripture, even at such a young age. She knew Israel's history, that it started when God made that covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. When God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will 
bless you. I'll make your name great. I will make you a blessing. God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will make you a blessing to all peoples. God chartered the course that would lead to the arrival of the Messiah. He expanded on this in Genesis 15 when he told Abraham to look up to the sky. And he said, count the stars if you are able. So will your offspring be. And sure enough, Abraham had a son, Isaac, who had another son, Jacob, who had 12 sons, and then came 12 tribes. And from God, uh, and Abraham, God from Abraham raised up a nation. But this is not where God's plan would end because it's not just about a nation on a map. It's more than a piece of land. So God expanded on that covenant when he told David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, from your line... I will raise up a king whose throne will last forever, whose kingdom will never end. And Mary made a connection between the covenant that God made with Israel, beginning with Abraham, and the child growing in her womb. She understands that this child to whom she's going to give birth is the fulfillment of all of these promises of God. Yes, Mary knew that. And here are the Jews. They've been 400 years without a prophetic word from God. The Romans are brutally oppressing them, and they are wondering, is God going to keep his promise? Yes. Does God remember us? Yes. And here's how we know that God will keep every single promise. He, we know that because he kept the greatest of all promises in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Did you notice the very last word in Mary's song in verse 55? It's the word forever. She goes from Abraham all the way to forever. How long will God keep his word? Forever. How long will he remember his people? Forever. How long will he keep us? Forever. How long will he sustain us? Forever. How long will he be with us? Forever. That's why she's singing, and that's why she's rejoicing, and that's why when we come to the manger and we remember what this is all about, we can't help but do the same. You join me as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful song about the birth of Jesus given to us by Mary herself. And we pray that we would worship you in the same way that she did, lowering ourselves and exalting you, lifting up the name of Christ deflecting all of the glory, giving you all of the honor and all of the glory because only you are worthy. And God, we especially thank you for what the birth of Jesus means. It means that you are at work in this world. You're not finished, but you are at work. And the same Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago is going to return and make all things right. He's going to fix what is broken. 
He's going to establish a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom of righteousness. He's going to do what we could never do. We thank you, Lord, that his birth means that you are a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And because you kept this promise, we can trust you to keep every other promise that you have given to us. And so help us, Lord, to respond accordingly, to respond by faith, to stand on those promises, to believe them and to live by them. And Father, would you help us, Lord, as well, to have that same joy, that same rejoicing that we see in Mary in Luke chapter 1, that we would take that same joy and share it with others everywhere we go. Mary was able to call you God my Savior. Lord, we pray for those who are here or those who are watching online who honestly cannot honestly say that. They cannot refer to you as their Savior because there's never been that point or that time in their life where they've received this free gift of salvation through Jesus. And God, how we pray that this would be that day, this would be that moment that they stop running from you and they just surrender and say, Jesus, I will follow you. I receive you. I believe upon you. And I declare you as Lord of my life. God, would you show all of us how you want us to respond to your word this morning? And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.